0: How many of you can't believe it's Christmas? Yeah, it's insane, right? So how many of you do not have your tree up yet? Yeah, yeah that handled that, up because that was me, right? Um, and how many of you have had your tree up for a month? Yeah, sick, sick people. We knew it, right? So yesterday, my daughter calls from uh, from Tampa and informed us. Uh, that she would be coming home for Christmas and that she was incredibly excited to come home for Christmas. And so, of course, that made us happy. We were thrilled to death that she was coming home. And I thought about that. And what I know is that when she comes home, because she's not coming home until Christmas Eve, what I know is when she comes home for Christmas Eve, the tree will be up, right? Lights will be on. There will probably be some presents underneath. There will be some funky smelling thing in the room that makes it smell Christmassy, right? Um, The place will look great. Right? She'll walk in and she'll get to see a completely buttoned down, picture perfect Christmas. And if she stays, which is a guess, right? She's a college student. But if she stays and wakes up on Christmas morning and stays during the day, we'll have a nice Christmas meal. And what I know is that she'll prepare none of it. Right? (laughs) She'll prepare none of it. She won't have decorated a drop on the Christmas tree. She won't have wrapped a single present, but boy, she'll get to enjoy the benefit of it, won't she? Was it the case yesterday? Yesterday, the house was a mess. The six-foot Christmas tree box sat on the kitchen table, right? The stuff from your Christmas tree was falling all over the floor. There were lights strung everywhere. Half of them worked, half of them didn't, right? We had to take moments to pray for forgiveness for the words that we used about broken lights, right? Right? It was just a mess, right? And that's just to get the tree and the decorations up, not to mention the standing in line at the stores, right? Not to mention the hours spent shopping and the time spent wrapping and all the, all the trappings that go with that. And then the shopping for the food and the preparation of the food and all of those things. And here's what I know. There's a huge difference between my, what my daughter will experience when she shows up on Christmas Eve and what it took To get there, right? There's a huge difference between those two. And there's a part of that that is incredibly appealing, right? There's a part of that that's incredibly acceptable to us. And then there's the part that not everybody likes to do, right? The part that's the nitty-gritty, right? The part that it takes the time to set up the tree and clean up afterwards and do all those things. And not everybody likes that part. We spent... The first two weeks of this series called The Beginning, talking about verses like Genesis 3.15. Right? The first day in Bible college, a professor told us this is the most important verse in Scripture. Because everything about the Bible is built upon this verse. And here's what we learned in Genesis 3.15. That we've got a God who's going to, who who laid down, right? Who laid down the gauntlet with Satan and said, listen, we're going to fight. And he said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to lose because I'm going to produce this warrior king, the son of this woman that's going to defeat you. Man, as Christian people, we love that buttoned up result that God's going to send a warrior to defeat our enemy. Amen, church? Right? We love that. We we heard last week Isaiah seven fourteen. A teenager, a young teenage Jewish girl, the Bible says will conceive as a virgin. Right? And through the power of the Holy Spirit, she will bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Man, I don't know about you, but I love the warrior king who comes as baby Jesus named Emmanuel. Amen, church. Right? That's good stuff. But there's a part of life in our faith that isn't so appealing, right? That isn't so buttoned up. Like God's going to send a warrior to defeat our enemy and he's going to send a virgin to conceive a child and we'll call his name Emmanuel. There's a part of faith that requires a little bit of nitty gritty from us. Joe used the phrase the first two weeks of the series, when man's at his worst, God's at his best. And we love that. Amen, church? How many of you love it when God's at his best, when man's at his worst, right? Man, we love a God that'll part a Red Sea for us. Amen? Amen. Right. We love a God that'll shut the mouth of a lion. Amen, church. And we love a God that'll raise a man from the dead. Amen, church. Man, we love that powerful God, the God that's buttoned up, that'll do those things for us. But what if what if for God to be at his best, you have to be at yours? What if God's best depended upon you? What if it depended on you or I needing to be at our best for God to get his best done? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to find in Matthew chapter 2 a completely different look at prophecy in the beginning. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're just going to read three verses of Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. The gospel writer says, When they had gone, those were the wise men. There are parts of faith, right? There are parts of faith that are more buttoned up and more presentable and more acceptable and more appealing to us. Amen, church, right? And there's parts, right? There's parts of our faith that just require a little bit more to get it done. And so the question I want to ask you and the question I want you to ask yourself this morning is this, right? What if God's best requires you or I, to be at our best. In Matthew's story, right? In Matthew's story, we learn about a man named Joseph, right? You're all familiar with Joseph, the husband of Mary, right? We're going to learn some lessons for him about the nitty-gritty side of our faith. And here's the first one. The nitty-gritty of faith. Here's what it says in Matthew 2, right? We just read it. When they, the wise men had gone, an angel comes and appears to Joseph in a dream, right? So if Joseph... Appears to Joseph in a dream. What's he doing? He's what? He's sleeping. And here's what the angel says, right? Now listen, I don't know about you, but I don't like being woke up from sleep, right? The last thing I want to be woken up from is by an angel who screams at me, get up, right? Not appealing to me, right? But he says, get up in the, in the Greek, that word is flee, right? Escape, right? It was emphatic, In the original language, get up, he says, take the child and his mother, escape to Egypt, right? Stay there in Egypt until I tell you, for Herod's going to search for the child and to kill him. Listen, I don't like being woke up in the middle of the night. I can't imagine being woken up by the angel of the Lord who screams at me, get up, get your wife, get your kid, flee from this house and go to Egypt and stay until I tell you. I don't know about you, but I'd have a couple questions. Yes or no, right? I'd have a couple questions. Right, And here's what we find about Joseph in the nitty-gritty of his faith. In spite of the absence of a lot of information, Right, in spite of the absence of a lot of information, you know what Joseph did? He got up. Because here's the thing about the nitty-gritty of our faith. Our faith requires us to act even when we don't know everything. You see, sir, so, for so many of us, We want all the facts before we move, right? We want all the facts. I mean, how many of you raised kids and you told your kids to do something and your kids went, why? Right? And we thought it was cute for a while, right? Oh, look at him. Why? Why? Right? And then after a while, we realized it wasn't cute anymore, right? It's not being cute. It became about, listen, this, listen, and you know, listen, you know, you and you know, people like this. It's become an obsession with some of us that we can't act unless we know everything. We're the kind of people who says, man, I love a plan. I want, to, I want you to tell me what to do. I want to know what the plan is. And once I know, then I'll act. Here's the problem. That might work well for you and your family. But when it comes to faith, sometimes an angel just shows up in the middle of your sleep cycle and says, get up, get the child and his mom and go to Egypt and stay there. And you know what faith is expected to do? It's expected to act. It's expected to move. And listen, for, for a lot of us, we don't like that. right? We want a God who's a lot more forthcoming. right? We want a God that fills the gaps in a lot more. And this wasn't the first time. Listen, Joseph dealt with this before, Matthew 1. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary, that's the mother of Jesus, pledged to be married to Joseph. She was engaged. But before Joseph and Mary could come together as husband and wife, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, right, her betrothed, her engaged-to-be husband, was a righteous man and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He hadn't mind to divorce her. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but if I'm engaged and my wife-to-be shows up pregnant and her testimony is that the Holy Spirit got me pregnant, I got a couple questions, right? I mean, we read those stories as if they're a part of a Christmas narrative and they don't include, include human beings. This was a real guy, right? This was a real man. This was a real girl, right? And here's what the angel of the Lord says, right? The angel shows up and says to, to Joseph, appears to him in a dream, and says, Joseph, right, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son and you're going to give him the name Jesus because he's going to save his people from his sins. Now listen, if I, first of all, I'm Joseph, I'm never sleeping again, right? It's crazy, right? But Joseph, as a human man, right, is forced to be, is forced to face his engaged, right? His engaged fiance that he's going to marry and she shows up pregnant. And then the Holy Spirit says, it's no big deal. Take her home, right? She's she's gonna give birth because the Holy Spirit, right, has has conceived in her a child, and that child's name will be Jesus, and he'll save his people from his hands. I don't know about you, but I got a couple questions, right? Because that's not enough information. For so many of us, that's the way our faith is. We know what God's asking. But because of a lack of information, we tend to want to not act, right? We used to call this, right? They call this in the in the in the business world, right? Paralysis by analysis, right? There are some of us that just need to know a lot more before we ever act. The problem is that's not how faith works, right? Hebrews eleven six says this. The writer of Hebrews says, without what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? Faith, faith. Listen. Faith is a commodity that makes God happy. Right? At the end of the day, God's desire is for you and I to trust Him, right? And here's what <clears throat> here's what Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seven says. You can skip that James passage, David. Second Corinthians five says this. Everybody online, everybody here, read this with me. Everybody in the land says this we live by faith, not by sight. Right? In the Greek, that word for live is the Greek word for walk, right? Walk, it's an action. Right. And you know what we do? We walk by faith, not by, not by, that means there are gaps. There are things you're not going to know. Right. There was information that Joseph didn't know. An angel just says, get up, take the woman, right. Take the mother, take her child, go to Egypt, right. Do it now and stay there until Herod dies. And I'll let you know when that happens. That's not a lot of information is a church. And you, you know what faith does? Faith walks by sight. So for, listen, for many, many people in their faith, the struggle isn't that we don't love Jesus. The struggle is how do, we, how do we walk by faith when we just don't have enough information? For some of you, right? For some of you, that is a major, major struggle, right? Because you want all the information. Listen, if you're going to live by faith, right? You can't walk by sight. You're going to have to trust just like Joseph did in the nitty gritty of your faith, even in the absence of all that information. There's a second thing, right? The nitty gritty of obedience, right? The nitty gritty of obedience. The scripture tells us the angel showed up and here's what happens. Joseph gets up, takes the child, takes the mom during the night and he leaves for Egypt. Right. He stays in Egypt until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said. Did Joseph obey the word of the Lord? Yes or no, man, he did. Right. The angel says, get up, right? Get up, take the mother, take the child, go to Egypt and stay. Verse 14 says he got up. He took the mother, took the child, went to Egypt and he stayed. Man, he obeyed. Right. The word of the Lord. We see in in Matthew chapter one, he did the same thing. Right. In verse twenty four, it says when Joseph woke from that dream. Right. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And he had no union. That means he had no physical relationship with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Right. He obeyed. He obeyed the word of the Lord. Listen, we live in a culture that has changed rapidly in the last decade, right? The culture that you and I live in has now become a culture that, and it's always been present, but now it has become popular, right? The culture today in our world is a culture that wants to change the word of God, right? We want the word of God changed to suit who we are, right? We live in a culture that now wants to change, right, the definition of sexuality, right we live in a culture that wants to change the definition of what god considers to be an acceptable relationship between a man and a woman right we want to ch- the culture wants to change it and here's why because we want it to be easier to obey right listen if god loves you right and god loves all people then God certainly is okay with a a group of people that are in love with someone of the same sex. Because as long as we love and as long as we're faithful to that person, God can't have a problem with that. We live in a world that wants to change, right, God's word. They want it to adapt to their culture. And here's the problem. that's seeping into our churches, isn't it? Our churches are becoming places that are no longer concerned with God's word. We're concerned with building God's word to where it fits people and it fits our way that we want to live. Listen, God wants us to be happy. right? God wants us to be happy. He can't be unhappy if we're happy, right? And so yes, I'm living with this person and we're sleeping together and we're not married but we love God and we love our church and that should be okay. We're wanting to change the word of God. We change the word of God when it comes to the, to the, the power of life and the value of life, we live in a culture that has devalued life to the point that at some level it has become not just acceptable, but defendable to take the life of a child, of a baby in the uterus, right? We live in a culture that wants to change the word, but we live in, in a church culture that's doing the same thing. I mean, churches like the Methodist church are splitting because all of a sudden God's words are irrelevant to those people. There's a group of people within the Methodist church that it's irrelevant to, that it's okay to be ordained in the ministry as a person who has a same-sex attraction and a same-sex action toward other people. And that's totally fine because God loves us and He wants us to be happy. And honestly, it's just easier to obey that kind of God. And we live in a world where you got to be affirmed. you got to be valued. Anybody ever hear this? Ever hear the phrase or utter the phrase? Listen, I just want to be heard. Anybody? Right? We live in a world where everybody's voice wants to be heard. Right? I just want to be heard. Listen, as long as, as somebody will hear me, it'll be fine. Let me explain something to you. Do you know what happened to Joseph? He was asleep. An angel showed up and said, get up. Listen to the words. Right? The words matter. The angel of the Lord said, get up. Take the mother and her child. And flee to Egypt. Do you know what he didn't say to Joseph? Get up, take your wife and your son. He didn't say that, did he? He said, take the mother and her child. Listen, you're already a stepfather, right? You're a stepfather and you're not just a stepfather. You're a stepfather to a son who was conceived by the Holy Spirit in your, in, in, in your fiance before you were married and you stuck with it, right? You didn't divorce her. You didn't put her away. You stuck with it, took her home. And here's what the angel does. God shows up and so affirms Joseph's role as the husband and the stepfather who was faithful. He says this, Hey dude, get up. Take the mother and her child and take them to Egypt. You're so insignificant in your story, Joseph. I just need you to basically be a chauffeur. Listen, if that story was told in 2022, everything would stop right there. Because we need to have sensitivity training, right? We need to have sensitivity training on how God should speak to people so they'll feel value and they'll feel affirmed because, God forbid, we can't get anything done unless everybody feels value and affirmed and everybody gets heard. That's not not what happened, was it? God showed up in the middle of the night and gave Joseph a directive. And you know what Joseph did? In the nitty-gritty of his obedience, he obeyed the word of God. So what about you? What about us? Because at the end of the day, what matters to God is whether we put our faith into action, right? Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 11, right? As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd calls out and she says, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus completely turns the narrative around and says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and what? Obey it. You see... My daughter's going to come home to a buttoned-up Christmas. It's going to look awesome. And she is going to be thrilled, and she is going to enjoy it. And yet, she did nothing, nothing to prepare it or to receive it. We've got a God who does the impossible. We've got a God who creates everything in six days from nothing. A God who parts the Red Sea. A God who shuts the mouths of lions. The God who gives sight to blind and And he gives hearing to death and raises dead people to life. We've got a God that buttons up our faith to where it is fun and it is appealing to trust that God. Sometimes, a lot of times, God's desire is for you and I in the nitty gritty of obedience to just do exactly what he says. Right? We learned about a man in the Old Testament named King Saul. Real tall dude, right? Israel wanted a king. They picked the tallest guy because tall people rock, right? Picked the tall guy, made him king, right? And all was good. Here's what happened. Samuel shows up to God in 1 Samuel 15 and says this. Samuel says to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over the people of Israel. He says, so listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says to you, Saul. I'm going to punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Go attack them. And everybody read this word, right? Totally destroy everything that belongs to them. It says, do not, right? Spare them. Put to death men, women, children, and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. He says, this is what I want you to do. Right? It's pretty clear what the expectation is. Right? Then Saul attacks. And look what happens. Saul attacks him. Right? From Havilah to the east of Egypt. He goes on and says this. He takes Agag, king of the Amalekites. What? Alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. Says he also, but Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle. Fat calves and lambs. Everything that was good, they spared. They were unwilling to destroy these completely. And everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So God gives a direction. Does Saul follow it? Yes or no? No. So Samuel shows up. And they go through a a debrief on what took place. Samuel reaches Saul. And, of course, Saul ever being the salesman, right? Which is what you do when you've done something wrong. The Lord, he says to Samuel, the Lord bless you, Samuel. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Did he? Oh, goes on to say this. Samuel says, um, what then is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? And what's the lowing of cattle that I hear? Right? Saul so answers, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites and they spared the best of the sheep And the cattle, they did it to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel says, right, to Saul. And let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul says, tell me. He goes on to say this. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, Samuel says to Saul, you didn't become the head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He goes on to say he sent you on a mission, and here's what he said. Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But listen to Saul. Saul says, I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned to me. And he said, I did completely destroy the Amalekites. I simply brought back their king. He says, the soldiers, they're the ones that took the the sheep and the cattle, the plunder, and the best of what was devoted to God, right? And they did it because they were going to sacrifice to the Lord your God, Samuel, at Gilgal. And here's what Samuel says. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the word or the voice of the Lord? Everybody in the land, everybody online, everybody here, let's read this together. To obey is and to heed is better than the fat of rams. You see, listen, there are parts of our faith that are incredibly appealing. There are parts of our faith that we can get behind because it's just like that buttoned up Christmas that we're going to be excited about. But there are parts of it that are just nitty gritty. They're just really hard. And honestly, sometimes for God to be at his best, we have to be at our best. And for Joseph, it meant getting up in the middle of the night. It meant not being affirmed. It meant not being valued. It meant God simply giving him direction to take the mother and her child and go to Egypt and just stay there until I'm done with you. I don't know about you, but I might have some problems with that. To obey is better than sacrifice, right? Because partial, listen, partial obedience is simply disobedience. Partial obedience is just disobedience. Saul said, I did it. I did it. I destroyed them all. I just kept Agag alive. He didn't. What about you? What's the Lord directing you to be obedient about? Right? What is it that God's asking you to do? Listen, God says this, right? God says, forgive and it will be, right? Forgive others as you've been forgiven, right? Bible says if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left. If somebody wants your shirt, give them your coat. If somebody needs you to walk one mile, walk two. Bible says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. How about do all things without grumbling or complaining? Be quick to listen and slow to hear. Listen, there's a million things that this book directs us to do. And the question is this. Are you going to walk in the nitty gritty of obedience and do what the word of the Lord says? Or are you going to want to change it? to just suit your needs, or are you just going to ignore it? You see, for many people, in this season of life, right, in this season of the calendar, we come to church to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I'm listen, we're grateful. We're spending a lot of time preparing for you to come, to invite your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers to come. But you know what would be Better. As if you came the following Sunday and the following Sunday and you continued to walk in obedience to the Lord your God and followed his voice. That's what matters because, listen, to obey is better than sacrifice. Amen, church? And listen, it's not, listen, there's nothing about that that's appealing and buttoned up. It's just nitty-gritty. And here's the last one. The nitty-gritty of God's word, right? The nitty-gritty of God's word. Listen to Matthew 2.15. Joseph went to Egypt. He stayed until the death of Herod. And listen, so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt. I called him my son. So what prophet is this? Well, it's, he, it's, it's found in Hosea chapter 11, right? And Hosea was what we call a minor prophet, right? Minor in the sense that his, his letter, his writing was just smaller than, say, Jeremiah or Isaiah. Not in the message. But listen to what God's word asked of Hosea. This was the prophet. This was the guy who proclaimed to God's people, God's message. And here's what God asked Hosea, the prophet, to do. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, here's what the Lord said to Hosea. Take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. He says, Because the land's guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So Hosea marries Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. She goes on to conceive and bear him two more children. But here's what God asked Hosea to do. I'm going I'm to need you, right, to prophesy to my people, but In order for your message to be believable, I need you, Hosea, to marry a woman, right? An adulterous woman who will produce children of unfaithfulness. I don't know about you, but I got a couple questions, right? I got a couple questions. That seems pretty complicated. All God asked me to do was leave Illinois and come to Florida, and I had a lot of questions. He asked Hosea, to basically marry a prostitute. I got a couple questions. And then in chapter 3. In chapter 3 of Hosea. Right in verse 1. Right the story continues. Because what we find in Hosea chapter 3 is. Is that Hosea married Gomer. Right. He married Gomer. And in chapter 3 verse 1. We find out from from the story. That not only did he marry the woman. Right. She went out. And she actually participated as Hosea's wife in being a prostitute and God says to Hosea listen I'm going to need you to go buy her back I'm going to need you to go to the slave auction and I'm going to need you to pay a slave's wage and I'm going to need you to buy your wife back and I'm going to need you to bring her home and I'm going to need you to keep her until the two of you die I don't know about you but I got a couple questions right I got a couple questions because that's an awful lot to ask is it not church man that's a tough thing Right? you got to go buy her back. Right? And not only did he tell him to buy her back. I mean, he had to go to the auction, the slave auction, to buy her back. Right? From the person that she basically was beholden to. And then he tells Hosea, and I don't want you to have any union with her. Right? I don't want you to have any union with her. No sexual intimacy when you get your wife home. I don't know about you, but I've got a couple questions. But here's the thing about God's word. It's just sometimes very nitty-gritty. Sometimes it's not the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Sometimes it's not, right? God saying, I'm going to put enmity between you and this woman, right? Between her seed and your seed, right? And he will crush your head. And you will bruise his heel. Not every verse is buttoned up and so easy to get behind. Some of the verses in God's word are just very, very hard to do. But here's the thing. That prophecy that Hosea Hosea gave was 700 years before Jesus ever showed up. And you heard Joe last week talk about the number of prophecies. Listen. Non-Christians have tried to shoot holes in the fulfilling of all of these prophecies, and they can't do it. But for our purposes today, let's just say this. How many of these predictions or prophecies that God gave do you think he needed to get right to maintain his status of God? All of them? Yes or no? Listen, if you're going to throw out there, I'm God, and then you start making predictions, how many of them do you need to get right? You probably got to get all of them right, right? 700 years before Jesus was ever born, Hosea, a man who was accustomed to the nitty-grittiness of God's word, had made the prophecy prediction that out of Egypt, I will call my son. And you know how it happened? Because when God is at his best, sometimes man has to be at his Do you realize that the fulfillment of Hosea chapter 11 landed squarely on the shoulders of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the stepdad of Jesus? And here's how he did it. He acted in faith even when he didn't have all the information. And he acted in obedience even when he wasn't affirmed or valued. And ultimately did it because he trusted that God's word, no matter how hard it is, can be trusted. I want to go to that last verse in John 5, David, and I just want to wrap it up this way. Jesus says this. He says, I've got a testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, Jesus says, and which I'm doing, that work testifies that the Father has sent me. He says, the Father who sent me has himself testified about me or concerning me. He goes on, you've never heard his voice. That's God's voice. You've never heard it, and you never have seen this form. Nor does his word dwell in you, Jesus said to the Jews, for you don't believe the one he sent. Listen to this. You diligently study the scriptures. You study this book because you think that by them you can possess eternal life. Listen to this. He says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have that eternal life. Listen, at the end of the day, whether it's the nitty-grittiness of your faith with the absence of information, the nitty-grittiness of obedience, even when it doesn't value me or affirm me, or just the nitty-grittiness of God's word because it's incredibly difficult or not. Everything about this book and every word written in it, none of it will give you eternal life. None of it will give you what you need because it all points to one thing. It all points to Jesus. Because that's what the season's all about. It's all about Jesus. It's all about getting people into a, a relationship with God's Son. Right? So if you're online and you're searching the scriptures to find the eternal life, to find something you're missing, that's why we have the button there, I've decided. Because we want you to push it. Someone will be in contact with you to follow up. If you're in the land, Ryan is there. He'll be more than glad to walk with you in that search as well. And here in Ormond, listen, full disclosure, we want you to know Jesus. That's why we're, that's why we're here. It's why we do this. Because everything about this book, it's why we preach it. Not because the stories are cool, not because it gives us something to do, but because we know what's in it are words that point to Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, Right? Today's the day. Whatever questions you have, whatever you're searching for, we want to walk with you through that. So if you're here this morning and that's the decision you want to make, we'll have people up here to the right of the stage that will do that. They'll answer those questions for you. Listen, I love Hosea chapter 11. And here's why. Because sometimes for God to be at his best, man, mankind has to be at their best. And we talk so much about getting out of God's way and letting God do His thing. Sometimes, for God to get His thing done, He's got to do it through you and me. And sometimes that means we gotta we gotta fill gaps of faith. We gotta be obedient even when it doesn't feel or sound good. And we gotta do it because God's word can be trusted no matter how difficult it is. Let's pray, church. Father, I'm grateful for Joseph. I I'm very grateful for his walk of faith, his testimony. I'm grateful that he was faithful and obedient. It's a very tough circumstances. And Father, I know there are a lot of people this morning that are dealing with tough circumstances. They're dealing with tough tough situations their life situations that we probably don't know anything about. I'm not even sure there's situations that we could do something about if we did. But you know, Lord. You know what's going on. And you know ultimately what matters. What matters is that people come into contact with the blood of your son. So, Father, it's my prayer today that for your people, that we will be more faithful, we'll become more obedient, we'll understand that partial obedience is just disobedience. And ultimately, Lord, no matter what your word directs us to do, we'll do it. Father, we're grateful that Jesus is a product of his faith and obedience. We're grateful that it led him to the cross for us. So Father, we just give you thanks in all things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.